my name is Caroline Tsai, head of the EIT Health Investor Network. And happy to have you join our Investor Network podcast, speaking like an investor on the very interesting subject, it's new MDR killing medtech innovation. Today, we're thrilled to welcome one of our members from Germany, SHS, an independent private equity company focused on life science and medtech investments. And we're very fortunate to have with us today Andre Zimmerman, a partner at SHS and a medtech specialist who recently wrote a very interesting article on the transition of the medtech sector and the challenges that startups will have to face in the future. Andre, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for the welcome and uh, yeah, happy to join your podcast here. Great. As a starter, could you tell us, Andre, a little bit more about SHS and your investment focus? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, SHS, as you already mentioned, we are, uh, let's say, a healthcare-focused um, private equity investor, and um, we are investing for more than 25 years now uh, in this sector. And um, we are um, mainly, let's say, focusing on certain areas in, in West, Western Europe, mainly the German-speaking countries, the Nordics and also the Benelux states. But in general, we, we are allowed to invest uh, in um, complete Western Europe um, area. And uh, we are, let's say, um, focusing um, especially on, on three stages of companies where we're investing in. And um, this is uh, the companies, uh, let's say, what we call later stage venture. Uh, these are growth companies mainly, and also some some on the small buyout side. Um, we, let's say, I would say what, what we are uh, doing mainly is to help the management teams to, to grow the companies, to internationalize, because we are quite well experienced in this field. Great. Now let's take a closer look at uh, the upcoming challenges uh, for the medtech startups that are listening to us. In a few months' time, we know that the new medical device regulation, which was previously a directive, will now become a law comparable to the U.S. FDA. Andre, could you give us a quick overview of what these new MDR requirements are and the impact that they will have on early-stage startups? Sure. Well, to, to answer this, it is necessary to take a broader view on the current, current situation. Historically, the MDD regime was implemented in 1992, so quite a long time ago. Um, at this time, there were no such things like healthcare apps and wearables measuring all kinds of health parameters or other digitalization components in healthcare. So therefore, an adaption of the existing directive was definitely due. The question uh, is and was um, to which extent. And the extent was defined then by some critical events in the medtech sector a couple of years ago, especially the breast implant scandal, as many, uh, many people are remembering. Um, this was a key point that had a huge influence on the whole MDR process. One main intention was, and this is to increase the safety of the products and to monitor these, as long as the product is on the market, especially with regard to class three and 2B devices. Um, this is totally understandable and advantages for the patients. Um, the key question is whether or not it had to be done in such a massive bureaucratic way with heavy implications um, for um, all meta companies. 
one have to imagine that, uh, for example, in Germany, there are around 13,000 healthcare companies from which only 100 have more than 250 employees, um, but more than 11,000 um, are, let's say, below 20 employees. So this means that, uh, that mainly SMEs, so small and medium-sized companies, have to deal with the MDR impact. And most of these SMEs don't have a lot of financial and personal resources. So what are the key changes and impacts uh, Metax have to face regarding with regard to MDR? Um, firstly, much more work with regard to the technical documentation and the quality management system has to be done. So the companies have to hire more regulatory people or have to pay external consultants. Um, as all Metax um, have to adjust to MDR, regulatory experienced people are quite scarce these times and extremely expensive, especially for SMEs with small budget. And the next point is that startup companies, which these days are the ones developing most of the innovations in the market, have to do more or larger clinical trials to get an approval. And in addition, the companies have to strictly monitor any slight um, adverse events and sometimes even post-market follow-up clinical trials have to be done. So these additional tasks are costly and the companies have to bear the expenses. An additional critical factor um, is the number of available notified bodies. And um, I think this is, this is a real hurdle because, um, for instance, in um, 2013, where there were roughly 75 accredited notified bodies in the EU, and now this number has shrunk to around 20. And uh, beside the low number, uh, one has to take into account that not only new products have to be approved under the MDR, but also all already established and marketed products. Mm. And this leads to a profound shortage of notified bodies and a long waiting time for startups, because these are not the most important customers for the notified bodies that um, uh, are mostly private organizations. This fact, leads to heavy delays um, regarding product approval, which is for cash flow negative startup companies relying on external capital, a very critical point. All these factors are leading to much higher costs on one side um, um, of the startups, as well as to longer times until CE approval and market entry. So there's a, there are real big hurdles for startup companies with regard to the new MDR. Definitely. Definitely. So what recommendations would you give, you know, early stage companies that are still um, looking at getting their first product approval under the MDR 2021? Yeah, well, um, I think there are many topics a startup company has to keep in mind when starting a process into this direction. Um, let me focus on some key areas here. Um, the most important recommendation is start early. Uh, it makes no sense to cover the topic when the technology or the device is nearly developed and close to the market. Um, one should start to think about the regulatory topics right from the beginning of the development process. Otherwise, there are a huge, there's a huge risk that bad surprises are um, popping up along the road, and this can be costly and very time-consuming. So, um, 
the next thing um, um, beyond starting early is that the startup company should find as soon as possible external or experienced internal or external regulatory experts um, to have enough resources in place for such a process. And um, as said uh, before, the startups should be aware that the market is nearly swept empty because um, every meta company is looking for qualified personnel and uh, in the regulatory field. And the key is to team up with people being real experts in the field to avoid unwelcome surprises. Um, and because this is from our experience, one of the, let's say, major impacts, and in this case, negative impacts uh, for a startup to have the wrong people on board. And depending on the product, the companies have to address many things around the approval process, like the quality management system, the technical documentation, and so on. So um, as mentioned before, um, another critical point are, let's say, to find the proper notified body and, uh, and to find one with a free slot here. Um, and besides the small number of available notified bodies, not every notified body fits to a certain startup with a, a certain product. Um, because some of the notified bodies are generalist, but some are also specified um, or specialized uh, in one or the other area. For instance, doing only medical devices or uh, let's say some, some specific medical devices types or even some are, uh, let's say, specialized in diagnostics. So. The small number of available notified bodies is getting even smaller with this fact. Um, but there's another even more important and very strategic question a startup has to answer at a quite early time point. Uh, and this is the approval strategy itself. Um, every startup um, has to discuss um, let's say one of the three main options they have. And the first option is um, to, to, do, uh, to, to go for CE approval first. Um, the next option mainly is um, to go for FDA approval first. And the third one is um, um, to do CE and FDA approval more or less in parallel. Um, you know, with the MDR, um, the approval process in Europe is getting much more costly and time consuming. So, Therefore, from a strategic point of view, it makes um, um, sense to compare it with the FDA approval process and the cost and the timelines here. Um, compared to Europe, in the US, the pendulum is swinging in the opposite direction with regard to time and costs um, of the approval process. So maybe for an EU-based medtech startup, it makes more sense to enter the US market first, especially as the US market is the largest in the world and um, reimbursement is um, often much higher than in the big European markets like Germany, for instance. Um, in addition, reimbursement is quite uniform across the country, whereas in Europe, um, a company has to face 27 different and sometimes quite complicated national reimbursement systems. So to sum it up, startups have a lot to decide right from the beginning here. Hmm, not a lot of positive perspectives, but um, let's take a look at all this from an investor point of view. Obviously, there will be delays, hurdles, um, additional expenses for obtaining the regu regulatory approvals. How will that be perceived by, by early stage medtech investors in Europe? Will you be putting off 
your investments for the next few months uh, until the product launch um, are, are done or that the business models are modified to integrate the, the rise of cost? Or are you going to look at new, new areas of, of healthcare to invest in? Yeah, that's a really good question, Caroline. Um, um, although SHS is not an early stage, but a, more of a growth investor, from my perspective, in, investors in European healthcare startups are becoming even more selective in which kind of company they're investing in. Um, with the longer timelines and rising costs for getting CE approval, investors are probably skipping one or the other investment because the risk return ratio is uh, maybe not attractive enough um, with when you're taking into account uh, the new um, MDR and the cost and timelines here. Um, so for some European startups, it could be uh, more difficult um, to close a financing round. Um, on our side, for instance, the last year, um, we did a, uh, a lot of investments, so we are not uh, shying away from the market, uh, quite the opposite. Um, we, we invested, for instance, in five um, uh, new companies, but uh, definitely maybe for one or the other investor, they will be, um, let's say, more selective and maybe also waiting uh, what's coming up here and uh, what kind of experience um, the, the companies have to face and maybe focusing over the next couple of months more on their current portfolio uh, companies and helping them to go through this, um, um, let's say, uh, MDR um, before investing maybe in, in new companies. Another effect could be that more and more investors and startup management teams are coming to the conclusion um, to go to their market first. So on the long run, this could lead also to a situation um, the U.S. faced many years ago when most European and U.S. startups decided to go to Europe first because the CE approval process was in these times much faster and less expensive than the FDA approval process. And, and this led to the point that many innovative and sometimes life-saving procedures were accept, uh, accessible for U.S patients only years after these innovations were available for patients here in Europe. And um, with the upcoming MDR, this is probably to be expected to reverse. And uh, if the US market is indeed moving more into a central position for medtech startups, the consequences could be that European startups raising their Series B or Series C rounds are looking for mixed investor consortiums. Because uh, meaning they're mixing or they're meaning uh, mixing uh, EU and US-based investors, um, because they need the let's say the, the the network also to the US market, and um, in addition there's a rising probability that a certain percentage of EU startups are shifting at least part of their business activities to the US by setting up sub subsidiaries in this region because the US market will be maybe their first and um, maybe uh, only market at the beginning. Okay. So obviously this will be definitely affecting the European medtech investment scene. But last question to you, Andre, if what the experts say is true, that 50% of the medical devices could be taken off the market because of these new regulations, do you think this is an open door for, for innovation? Um, well, um, 
it's difficult to predict what exactly is happening at the end. Um, nevertheless, we we definitely can agree on the fact that for a certain percentage of, let's say, long-established medtech SMEs, the MDR is a real economic burden or even a threat for the further existence. And in, in Germany, for instance, um, the vast majority of the medtech companies are quite small, mainly family-owned firms with less than 100 employees. So a lot of these companies have well-known and broadly used products, but a quite small geographical business footprint covering mainly Europe or maybe even only part of Europe. And um, for them, some of these SMEs, it is difficult to, to bear the heavily increasing regulatory costs, the costs of the MDR. Probably for some of them, um, or some of them are leaving the market, this is maybe the only solution they see. Although, this would be a very tragic decision, not only for the, for the company owners, but also for all the employees. Um, but maybe there's also, or there are also other ways out of this dilemma, depending on the single case. Um, one, one of the solutions could be an active going forward strategy for the companies. For instance, by broadening the geographical footprint and to going more international with uh, the clear goal to expand the business. And um, if such a step can be successfully realized because the product of the companies or the products of the companies are really competitive and have a clear USP, the growing revenue and the rising profitability should help to cover the higher regulatory costs here in Europe. Um, clearly, such an international expansion doesn't come um, along without any risk, and that has to be taken by the owner of the company. Um, and also, some financial resources are needed um, to realize such a growth, such growth plans. But um, but these risks can be shared, um, for instance, with a healthcare-focused investor like us, um, who has the necessary international internationalization experience and is willing to finance such an expansion strategy. And um, this is definitely an area where we at SSS are being able to support companies in many ways, and um, where we are open to discuss potential solutions with the company owners. And I think uh, this is, could be a straightforward strategy for uh, a lot of companies, and also maybe um, to to yeah to 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 drive for also on the investor side a buy and build strategy um, to to make or to uh, create larger um, let's say businesses um, that then um, will be able to cover their additional costs um, on on the regulatory yeah. side. Well, Andre, thank you so much. Uh, so much valuable advice, lots of food for thought for the upcoming uh, days for, for the startups. Um, a great thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Likewise, also from my side. Thank and you very much. And thanks to all our listeners. This podcast is brought to you by the EIT Health Investor Network that accelerates early stage fundraising for European healthcare startups with investors like SHS. Thank you so much for your participation.